defeated. Let goods and kindred go. What a powerful sentence. What a frightening command. And yet, if you turn your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to a man named Abram. Later on, he will be named Abraham. And we'll explain that to you. But his given name was Abram. And listen to the word of God in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So far the reading of God's Word. Besides Jesus Christ, who is the most important person in the Bible? Well, you might have your opinion and I might have mine, and there are many, many characters in the Bible, great men and women of faith. But I suspect that all of them would say that Abraham is their father in the faith. Abraham is the patriarch of their faith. And it is interesting that around the world today, Jews and Muslims and Christians and these three great religions of the world all locate the patriarch of their faith in Abraham. If you want to understand the world that is in turmoil and much conflict, it will do you to pay attention these next number of weeks as we study from Genesis 12 through Genesis 25. And I don't know how long Martin and I are going to make our way through it, but it is a fascinating section of Scripture. And we're going to see the man who is called the man of faith, 
and he's called the friend of God. Now, James Boyce points out in his writings that three times in the Bible, Abraham is called the friend of God. And he says, you know, that exalts Abraham, that elevates him, but at the same time, Boyce says, it brings Abraham right down to us. Because you and I will never be lawgivers like Moses. We will never be a mighty prophet like Elijah. We will never be uh, like Mary to bring uh, the Savior into the world. We will uh, never be any of those great generals like Joshua or kings like David and Solomon. But every one of us can say, I have heard the voice of the Lord, and I have followed Him, and I have become His friend. And Abraham is that for us. So we're going to study this guy who's a great saint and a terrible sinner. And we're going to learn about the amazing nature of the covenant that God makes with His people. And if you're a mother and father here today, you need to study what the Bible teaches about the covenant and how that affects us as parents and how we look at our children. We're going to study the great seduction that the world offers us. In Sodom and Gomorrah, we will study and see God's holy and righteous response. And we will see Abraham in the midst of it all take it in and seek to do what is right. And we will see the gospel. We will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, in the first book of the Bible? Really? Yes, really. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, consider Abraham. Okay, there's a command to the church. Think about Abraham. That's why we're doing this. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and listen to this, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. So, Scripture tells us that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was actually offered to Abraham in his day when he said, all nations will be blessed through you, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's why it's called the gospel that God gives to Abraham. So interesting. The first sentence of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, he begins an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And when John the Baptist is born, his dad, his father Zechariah, is so excited, he's shouting out words of joy, and he says, God has shown mercy and has pro the, pr the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our ancestor Abraham. And Mary, the Virgin Mary, as she contemplates the wonder of the Savior of the world coming through her that she will bear the Christ child, she praises God 
And do you remember what she said? He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy according to the promise He made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And the Apostle Paul can't stop himself as he writes to the church at Rome and at the center of his explanation of the doctrine of justification by faith, as he's explaining salvation by grace through faith alone. What does he say? He says, for the promise that he, that is Abraham, would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The entire sense of our salvation by faith in Christ is given to us in the life of this man, Abraham. And as I already read in Galatians 3, he says, and so everyone who believes in Christ is a child of Abraham. Wow. So, it's the gospel. That's what we're going to study. Now, what happens is that God, as Martin told us, God chooses Abraham to be the father of His chosen people. And I want to say a few things about this as we start. I want you to know that Abraham's election and Abraham's calling are just like yours. Again, James Boyce is right. You know, Abraham is brought right into our level, where we are at. And there's so much that we can observe about God's relationship with us as we study His relationship with Abraham. Abraham does not deserve to be chosen. He has not shown himself to be a very godly man. In fact, Joshua 24 verse 2 tells us that Abraham was a man who served false gods and loved idols in his father's house on the other side of the River Jordan. There was nothing in Abraham. He's a pagan among pagans, and God shows him grace, and God speaks to him. He doesn't seek it. He doesn't desire it, apart from this sovereign moving of a gracious God. And in a moment, Abraham hears his voice. And he is converted. And your calling and my calling are similar the New Testament tells us. He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We were lost, and the shepherd came after us, and we were found. We were blind, and He gave us eyes, and then we could see. We were deaf, and our ears were stopped up, and He unstopped our ears, and we heard. I think some of us get tied up in knots as we come to doctrines like the election of God's people and predestination and God's sovereignty in election. And people do get tied up in knots. And if you're a thoughtful Christian for very long, eventually you're going to ask the question, well, why did God choose me and not my neighbor? And then people, there's all kinds of theologies and philosophies and, and struggles to try and sort all that through. Uh, but, you know, you think to yourself, why has God chosen me instead of them? And, and I don't want in any way, in any way, to deny those questions. They are fair questions, and we as elders are happy to talk about them with people who wrestle with them. 
But I do think that sometimes when you wrestle with the question of election and the choosing of God, and you just only see it as, why me instead of them, that's failing to see how the Bible presents election in that it's not me instead of them, but according to our text here, he chooses Abraham so that through you all the nations of the earth can be blessed, may be blessed, will be blessed. It's not me instead of them. He chose me for them. He chose you for them. It's purposeful election. Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 15, and he says these words. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's startling. And that's clear. So if you want to argue with somebody about this, argue with Jesus about this. However, notice how the verse ends, and I didn't quote the rest of the verse. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and have appointed you to go and bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And so the election of God is not me instead of them, it's me for them, me to go and to bless them. And who knows who is going to come and believe because of your witness and your testimony and your sharing of your faith and your acts of kindness. And, and yet, here's what God has done. At least today, you can say, God called me, God summoned me into this room to hear His gospel. Some of you for the thousandth time, some of you for the first time. But He summoned you in here in order to bless you. But guess what? It's not so that you go home happy. He decided to bless you so that you become a blessing to someone else. That's what He did to Abraham, didn't He? I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and then all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Does that make sense? I know I'm hammering this hard, but you see, the Scriptures teach this in many places. In Psalm 67, which we, Nina and I had read at our wedding. I love Psalm 67. And the first verse of Psalm 67 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. Now that's a nice prayer, isn't it? I love that prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And Nina and I on our wedding day, we had the minister read this and and read this so that God would bless us and make His face shine on us. But you know what the very next verse says? Verse 2. That your ways may be known on the earth your salvation among all people. The blessing that we want Him to give us and the blessing He's going to give us is not just so that I'm blessed. It's so that I could be a blessing to others, that His ways may be made known on the earth. And I think it's so easy for Christianity to just be Jesus for me, Jesus for me. And what's the end point of that sentence? Me. But the Bible says that that's not the gospel. Yes, Jesus is for me. Yes, He blesses me. Yes, it is so wonderful to have my sins forgiven and have the hope of everlasting life. And I'm really glad that I do. And so are you. But guess what? It doesn't end with you because it's not just about you. 
It is about the fact that all the ends of the earth are to be blessed. And he chose Abraham, but Abraham's not the end. That the earth may be blessed through him, and so that the earth may be blessed through you. Are you with me on this? Do you understand this? Look at how Psalm 67 ends. God will bless us. Our God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. So you are blessed with wonderful blessings, but then you are blessed to be a blessing. If you don't take anything else away, what did the preacher say today? Blessed to be a blessing. That's why he has blessed me. And the promises are staggering as they come to Abram. And we're going we're to watch him receive these great blessings. What does he offer him here in the text? He says, I will make you great. And greatness here is a kind of largeness. I'm going to make you big, Abraham. You're going to be big. And you're going to be big in terms of people and in terms of territory. You're going to be fruitful. And, there is going, and you're going to multiply. And you are going to have dominion over the earth. What does that sound like? Sounds like Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. That something that went wrong in the Garden of Eden is now going to be fixed. When God told Adam, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth, now God is coming again and he is saying, we're going to fix this, this ruined world. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come into the world to recapture a renegade planet and to bless it. And he's brought you on board to make him a part of that blessing. He's going to give him a name. He's going to give him the, a name, a great name. And through him, there is one coming who is going to have the name that is above every name. Who is that? Jesus Christ. That at the name of Jesus, who is the son of Abraham, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he blesses us with a name. If you belong to him or are adopted into his family, you have the name Christian. You have the name Son of God, Daughter of God, and the book of Revelation says, and I still don't understand this, it says there is a secret name that God has for every one of His elect that He will announce on that last day, that secret name, special name, that is your very recreated personhood as you come into heaven. This nation, this mighty nation, this chosen nation, this holy people, who are they? They are those who come through the messianic seed. Yes, they became Israel. They became the Jews. And then with the ascension of Christ, the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ expands to the Gentiles who are grafted in to the covenant of Abraham. And we are brought in and we are children of Abraham. But if the Bible teaches us anything here, friends, it's just this. You are made to be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing, and that takes the claustrophobic self-centeredness that I have in my heart where I'm just thinking about me, 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 morning, noon, and night. And he opens the door and lets the sunshine in and says, come on out, let's go and be a blessing, John, to others. That's what he wants for you. Do you have you received hope since you became a Christian? I know you have, because he's the God of hope. He gives you hope. And then what do you do? You give hope to other people. And I bet you know someone today that's feeling pretty hopeless. 
that's really struggling. But if you've been blessed with hope in Jesus Christ, you need to go alongside that friend and you need to say, you know, buddy, it's tough, but let's go to the Lord together because our God, my God, the God of the Scriptures is the God of hope. Let's ask Him to light a a, a flame inside of you. Have you received forgiveness of sins? Has He blessed you with forgiveness? Well, then you know what? When somebody sins against you, what do you do? Hate them? Get revenge? What do you do? You bless them. You forgive them because you were blessed to be a blessing. Has God given you money and possessions? Is it just so that you can be rich? Or is it so that you can also share what you have to be a blessing to others? Do you enjoy fellowship in the body of Christ and have treasured friends in the church family? And do you know somebody who's, who's lonely, who doesn't seem to have any, doesn't, at least doesn't have healthy friendships? And can you invite them and draw them into this church family so that they can have some healthy, nurturing, nourishing friendships? Do you worship God? Then you go out and you let that light shine and you are a blessing. The promise is staggering to Abraham. We will see this, but you were made to be blessed so that you can become a blessing because you are a child of Abraham. You see, all all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, is it easy for Abraham to do what God asks him to do? I don't think so. And is it easy for you to be a Christian? That's an interesting question. And the answer is yes and no, because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But I'll tell you, at the same time, the Bible speaks about striving and self-denial and putting self to death, and that, you know, that's, it's not easy, and yet it is easy. But it's not easy when you consider what Abram has to do. He's told, you have to leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house, each of these more precious than the other. Leave your clan, your gang, but guess what? I'm going to give you a great family and a, and a wonderful family. But you've you got to leave Haran first. He says, leave your father. Leave your father. But you know what else he says? I'm going to give you a son and then a grandchildren by the oodles. But he can't do it and stay in Haran. You see, he has to leave first. You know what he had to discover? He had to discover that his father, his dad, was an idolater. He had to discover that his, his father worshipped false gods and that the true God had spoken to him and had called him to follow. Can you imagine how hard that is? Well, for some of you, you don't have to imagine. That was your own experience. Many of us did not grow up in godly Christian homes. We didn't grow up where we sang uh, songs of glorious praise to the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. We didn't grow up like that. So you grew up in a home where your dad and your mom had idols. Now, I don't 
in any way want to insult your parents. That's a stupid thing to do. I'm not in, trying to insult your parents. Never do that out on the street. Kids, don't do that on the basketball court. Don't insult someone's parent. But the Bible does say that those parents who don't know the Lord are idolaters. What was your dad's idol? What was your mother's idol? What is the North Shore of Long Island's idols? We made a list in our Sunday school class today. We talked the, the idol of money, the idol of vocational success, the idol of family, the idol of pleasure, the idol of control. All of these things in themselves are good. Family is good. Money is good. Uh, job, having a, a job you enjoy is very good, but when they become number one, they become idols. And to become a Christian means you have to leave those idols. And the Lord becomes number one. God said, follow me. You know what? How many times in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did Jesus say those words? Jesus says, follow me. And if you're going to be a Christian, then you have to hear him say, I don't care what age you are, you have to hear him say, leave the idols of your family. Leave this world, as it were, and come to a new nation, into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven. And so I ask you, have you done that? Abraham did. Abraham did. So he's a father of faith. What about you? Have you come to the place where you renounce the idols of the world and say, I want God? Martin Luther wrote that hymn that we sang during the offering, Let Goods and Kindred Go. Wait, no, but family is my idol. Family's the biggest idol. But it cannot be the most important thing. Even the beauty and wonder of family cannot be number one. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. You mean the Lord might even call me to die? Yes, the Lord might even call me to die. So Abraham goes, and I don't know all that we're going to see in the next few weeks, but suppose he gets to an oasis as he's traveling through the desert and someone says, Mr. Abram, where are you going? He says, I don't know. You don't know your final destination? Not yet. Well, how will you know when you get there? He'll tell me. God will tell me. But look at this entourage that you have with you. How are you going to feed them all? He's going to supply my needs. But who, where's your security force? Who's going to protect you against the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites? and all the warring tribes out there. And Abraham, he says, too many questions. God knows. Because it's not about where he's going. It's about who is with him on the journey. And that's what I want for you in your life, for us as a church family. It's not so much about where you're going. That's important. But what is really important is, who is with us on the journey?
And the answer is the God of Abraham. Many times in the Old Testament, when God reveals his name, he is revealed as the God of Abraham. May the God of Abraham be with you. He gets to Shechem. And you know what he does at Shechem? He builds an altar there. And he worships God. And 600 years later, as Israel comes out of Egypt and Pharaoh is defeated, he come, they come to Shechem on the edge of the river Jordan and they worship God and the Jordan parts and they walk across into the promised land just as God promised Abraham. And Abraham comes to Bethel. And what does he do at Bethel? Does anybody know? He builds another altar at Bethel. And there he calls on the name of the Lord. He expresses his dependence on God and his worship and appreciation of God. He worships. What about you? Has the God of Abraham and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ called you to let goods and kindred go this mortal life also? Yes, yes he has. I know he has. And if you haven't really heard that before, well, he just did today. And he said, come follow me. Come and worship me. For Abraham's grandson, Jacob, came back to Bethel. And at that place, he saw a ladder going up into heaven and angels ascending and descending there. And he said, surely this is the gateway to heaven, the gateway to paradise. And he worshiped, and you worship. So now we come to communion. We come to the Lord's table. And it's going to be different for different people right now. Some of you, I just invite you to take communion and say, Lord, I just want to be your friend, as Abraham was the friend of God. I want to cease striving, trying to approve an earthly, prove myself to a father I could never satisfy. I just want to be your friend. If that is you today, you let him minister to you. Someone else, someone else is here, and you are gonna, you're going to say, Lord, I've been really holding on to the, to the world. I just, I just love the world so much, the pleasures of the world. Today, Lord, will you help me let go? Give me your spirit. I just want to surrender it all to you. Someone else just says, I need to worship. I need to go to Bethel and worship. Well, then you just do that. Let this be a season where you join Abraham in expressing your dependence on God and your praise to him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now, and, and communion is a very special time for us. Jesus gave us this moment to let goods and to let kindred go and um, to feed on him, to get strength. And so we ask now, O oh Lord, that you would do something unique and special for each of us in this brief ser service of communion. Come and minister to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the Lord's table.